They are my space marines, and they shall Live from the outer halves of two distant hive cities, Section Extremis has returned. I am your host, Jackson, the Agency. And joining me, I have my host. <laughs> oh man, I was not prepared for that. It's me, the Noise Marine. <laughs> Fucking brilliant. Oh, the noise marine himself. Fucking hell. Right, when did we last work on recording this episode, Mark? We started working on this a few days ago on Sunday. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. But yeah, we are re-recording the first part because upon editing the audio in the twilight hours of Sunday, a school night, I found it festooned with tiny issues that no one would really care about other than me so we went back to the drawing board and changed the format and condensed the show so other changes of note are that mark now has home recording capabilities which is badass because this adds like a plus one to our consistency rating um and as far as (laughs) as far as logistics and scheduled conflicts go like they're not really going to touch us now we're good so i would just like to say welcome my friends to season two of sanction extremis You are going to be saying to yourself, Jackson, you said you weren't going to fucking do this in seasons, but that was before the great shakeup, okay? So basically, because stuff has changed now, we've drawn a line in the sand. And what better way to draw a line in the sand than new music, courtesy of the omniscient, the omnipotent, the omnipresent Adam Nickel from the Fluff and Hammer podcast. And we got new fucking artwork from the fucking amazing snipe from Snipe and Wib. So, I mean, what more do you want? We're fucking set now, but we've been away for a long time. And, I mean, I've missed talking to you, Mark. And what what we're going to do at the beginning of this uh, section, because we, we recorded it once, but we'll fucking do it again, is we're going to do our three highlights from the worlds of Warhammer. And, Mark, I'm very interested, sir, to hear what your first highlight is on your list from the sort of period between the last recording and this one, which has been like three fucking months. So, mate, do you want to kick off? Well, there's a, a lot to cover in that time, really, but I've managed to condense it down to three sort of key highlights. Um, my first one is uh, the escapism of the hobby. And this is made really obvious to me because of the current situation we're all in. We are so fortunate that we can just dive in to a whole world of escapism. I mean, we can't play games necessarily, but we've got a whole wealth of painting, books, visuals, games, all sorts of things. Um, But my particular escapism highlight has been um, an audio drama. Um, In fact, a collection of audio dramas, because Audible have started putting together um, collections of audio dramas because I think audio books are good escapism, but I think audio dramas are the next level um, of immersion, which is really great. And the one I want to recommend, and as a hobby highlight for me, is the Adeptus Astartes audio drama collection, full of really amazing audio dramas. Um, and I was a bit concerned at first when I first got it, because I've heard some dodgy audio dramas in the past, but this one had quality after quality. My favourite one, my favourite two actually, uh, one with the Salamander Terminator Squad and Sisters of Battle, absolutely awesome. And there's one where there's a Black Templar Dreadnought and you're seeing this battle unfold from his perspective and it's just so good. There's a moment where they all crash in through this fortress gate with these Dreadnoughts and Centurions and then all the first company teleport in and it just fucking shit hits the fan. <laughs> so good. May so, I interject, sir? Of course. Is that the glorious tomb? 
Yes, it is. Yeah, I know the one you mean. Yeah, that's fucking good. <laughs> really fucking good. Um, so, yeah, that's my um, first hobby highlight. Yeah, man, I think, like as you always say, this is a multifaceted hobby, so we are pretty fucking lucky. And my highlight would be really how Games Workshop have handled the whole situation surrounding this pandemic. Um, I've, I mean, obviously, I am suckling at the teat of Games Workshop, so I want them to do well, but seeing them put their workers first and close places down and say, no, we ain't fucking opening until people are safe... Um, that that's just been brilliant for me to see that happening, especially with a company that's worth millions and millions, you know, because a lot of other companies aren't doing that kind of stuff. Um, and they've done everything. We've They cancelled, well, they didn't cancel Adepticon, but obviously they had probably put a lot of money into marketing and stuff for the reveals there, and they did them online out of people's bedrooms just to keep us happy, which was fucking killer. And I think we've still got one big reveal to come. Um, I think Chapter Master Varak himself has been like querying that and what we're going to get. And I am fucking excited, man. That's this Saturday. Uh, and other than that, just Games Workshop, well done. And you guys giving the uh, original government pencil pusher himself, the, the Cadian Dylan from Predator, out uh, to local game stores. I mean, fucking cracking job. Uh, so that's my highlight, man. I think they did brilliantly with that they really shone for me good on you games workshop good on you i 100 percent agree man i think they've handled it really well and i uh, mirror your thoughts exactly and i'm really looking forward to the preview on saturday it's gonna be all 40k and it's gonna we're gonna be strapped in for this one i think yes yes we are man i'm getting my popcorn i'm gonna get like a big two liter bottle of um, pepsi max i'm gonna be fucking <laughs> well ready <laughs> but we're probably gonna get a heat wave so yeah, it's probably going to go flat pretty quick, but fuck it. So, man, what was your next hobby highlight? Uh, my next one is uh, Combat Patrol. Now, this is something I've been hassling you about, um, and it's a small 40K format that I sort of dug out of uh, the dark internet. <laughs> and, it's something, and it was something that um, was prevalent a little bit in 6th and 7th edition, and it's basically like a 500-point gaming format. Um, if you go over to our Instagram, you will see me talking about the rules for that um, and uh, the, the way you play it, basically. And where, how I found that really helpful is it condenses, obviously, your army to 500 points. And it makes you think really hard about composition um, and the sort of mission, different missions you'll have to face. And it's also been really good for me in regards to getting together and doing painting in terms of chunking it into 500 point chunks. Because in my mind, if you can paint 500 points for a uh, combat patrol, that means you can play 40k with a fully painted army. And then all the other stuff you do in the background is only just going to add to that as you work towards a bigger game. Um, and also, in a sort of side note to that, I also think it's great that this hobby allows you to play in so many different ways. You can do open play, you can do narrative play, you can do sort of intense matched play. You could do stupid shit like Combat Patrol that you find off the internet. Um, you can make up your emissions. It's just a huge sandbox to play in, um, which, again, is part of that multifaceted thing. You can kind of make the game whatever you want. You can make your own house rules. It's not like a computer game where you have to, you have to kind of play within the parameters of the, of the coding, really. It's kind of you just sort of add bits, take bits out, manipulate it however you want, so... Yeah, um, so Combat Patrol for me is another hobby highlight. You'll see me posting more about it on Instagram, uh, showing some of the armies I've got together for it, and just generally how great the game is. Yeah, man, so basically what you're telling us and telling everyone who's listening at home or wherever the fuck they are, fringe formats are the way forward. Fuck yeah, they are. <laughs> yeah, fucking fringe formats. It's just that thing, man, like you said, so many facets. <laughs> oh, yeah, big time. And, and I think... I think also it helps with your hobby as well to be able to chunk into 500 point chunks of painting. I found that really quite manageable. It's about 20 figures or so, uh, depending on the army you play. And I found it really easy to kind of build like different lists. And it's a good kind of like um, way of 
I'm trying to think of the best way to explain it. Um, you sort of building within a limited framework. It's a bit like how in Magic the Gathering you have certain formats where you can use certain cards and certain colour combinations. I think it's kind of a throwback for that for me, where I quite liked building within sort of certain parameters and guides. Yeah, um, yeah, because you're so you're working because really you're working to a more like prescriptive brief with this format, aren't you? Because I remember you saying to me like, "There's restrictions on what troop choices you can have." What was it? Yes, there take... are restri- there are restrictions. Um, there you can take up to six troops. Um, so there's not any restrictions in that, but um, everything, all the options are zero plus. So you don't have to take any troops or any HQs if you don't want to. Um, but everything has a limit. So you can take naught to one HQ, naught to six troops, naught to two elite, naught to two heavy support, etc. So you can take those options without having to be forced to take troops, for example. But then again, if you play um, games with objectives, troops automatically capture objectives over any other unit. So they're really important to have. Yeah. Um, plus, plus, I think the troop units in the armies are kind of they give they give a good flavour of what the army is about. For example, uh, Imperial Guard, you've got your your basic Imperial Guard. They, they sort of give you a flavour of the army. Or Space Marines, this tactical squad is their troop choice, and it basically sums up what the army's about and admech the you know the basic guys the vanguard and the uh, other skitari and just looking Rangers. at those basic troops yeah you just get a kind of a flavor of what the army's about so i think those yeah. are important as well but it, it kind of restricts you in some ways but opens it up in others probably really good as well because if you've got like like i've got like two thousand points of space marines and i'm like how the fuck am i ever going to paint all of these things i can look at that and just think well this is the brief I'm working to and, you know, what's, in my case, what's thematic? Because I'm not really bothered about winning. I just want to have an army that looks cool. So so I 100% agree with you. Um, I mean, I'm not ruling out ever playing big games because, yeah, because you want to take those bigger units, those bigger tanks. But I think especially getting back into the hobby after taking, well, or into the gaming side of the hobby after taking the break we've been that's been forced upon us i think playing combat patrol will get us up to speed um not only with the rules again and sort of getting used to playing and giving us opportunity to try out different units and different combinations so very i'm very interested to sort of dive in and give that a go when we're allowed to well be in the same room again yeah (laughs) yeah so that's a pretty big highlight really isn't it and yeah like you said if anyone listening to this podcast is like getting back into playing again fucking check out combat patrol yeah definitely i might do another post about it when the podcast is released um talking about the rules and the format again sort of coincide with this episode's release so if you're interested in that then check it out Right, so my highlight that's in the middle of my list is me getting back into a series because I've finished the Night Lord series and although I loved it, I'm at a loss from the end. So I was looking and I've got into Gaunt's Ghosts and I'm fucking sold on it. Like, holy shit, is Dan Abnett fucking good at writing like compelling and complex characters, Mark? I can't fucking praise it enough. I like it so much that I went out and bought a fucking Kindle just because... Audible is missing like 12 of the books that are right near the beginning. Um, So I had to go out and get one just so I could read more. And at the moment, uh, I've got two fucking hives on this hive world fighting each other. And Gaunt and his lads are slap bang in the middle. Um, (laughs) And I finished, uh, what was it? Uh, The second Gaunt's Ghost book, which was Ghostmaker, uh, which was fucking cool. But it's a collection. They've, They've kind of tied it together but it's mostly a collection of shorter stories from Inferno. And every one is on like a different planet. There's different shit going on. And it, it builds the characters up so well and really gives you the history of them as a unit. And being able to read about essentially the cast of dog soldiers, but, you know, <laughs> in 40K is fucking banging. So that's my highlight, man. I, I'm Hats off to you, Dan Abnett. You're a good lad. Yeah, um, I mean, I can testify that... Um... Jackson has been going on about this for quite a long time. He's been really, really into the ghosts. And I mean, I had a passing interest, but he's fully sold it to me. So I'm going to be diving in as well. So expect some more Gaunt's ghost based ramblings from us in the future. Well, that's enough fucking rambling from me anyway, Mark. I think now, mate, what we need to do is we need to combine our hobby forces into one ultimate hobby highlight because we were contacted by a very fucking generous man on Facebook. Mark, 
This is one of our fans, and he was speaking to you directly. Please, please kick this part of the podcast off because holy shit, thank you. <laughs> so fucking go for it, mate. Yeah, I think thank you is the key word here. Um, we're speaking about Axel from uh, who's been in contact with me through uh, Facebook. I mean, what a gent. That's all I can say. Basically, he saw me posting um, and talking about on the podcast about Dark Eldar and about how they were, like, number one on my to-do armies in terms of I'm going to fucking click them at some point. It's just a matter of time, all right? Um, And he sent me a kind message, and he's like, oh, I've got a few Dark Eldar bits kicking about um, that I'm not going to get around to using, so do you want them? And I was thought, oh, okay, yeah, maybe he wants a bit of money for a few bits and bobs. And I'll be, we chatted away. And fuck me, man. He uh, he said, oh, I've got this stuff. And he listed to me what he's got. And he said, I'm just going to send it to you. And I'll get on to what it was in a minute. But I said, man, like, at least let me contribute something. Um, at, at least postage. Because this guy's posting from fucking Sweden, man. Um, but... The stuff he sent me, I got it the other day, um, and oh man, I unboxed it, and I was like a fucking kid at Christmas. Shall I go over what was in this package? <laughs> oh, mate, you should, especially because, like, you showed me a picture of the size of the fucking box that got sent over, and I was looking at it thinking, holy fuck, like, how much, like, he's protected the stuff in there really well, but, <laughs> but no, it's like you opened it, and it was just fucking rammed with stuff, wasn't it? Oh, mate, it was, it was fucking rammed. Um... Right, it, it contained in this box, this very large box, um, one Dark Elder Stark Collecting set, which is quite a, a packed Stark Collecting set as it is. He also sent me an extra three Reaver Jet Bikes. He sent me ten Cabalite Warriors, a Raider, which is the big transport. He sent me a Homunculus, and he sent me ten... Racks, which are kind of the homunculus infantry, and on top of that, five scourges, which are the uh, flyer troops with special weapons that they've got. So, as you can tell, that is a huge amount. That's nearly a thousand points worth of Dark Eldar he sent me, Fuck! completely, <laughs> completely for free. Um, I mean, as I said, I tried to offer to pay po- at least postage, but he was having none of it, and. Um, I just unimaginable kindness and forever in his, you know, he's forever got my gratitude. It was such a nice gesture, but it does not stop there. He asked me what you were into. And I kind of knew that we knew where this was heading. And I thought, oh, I don't want to kind of say too much in case he sends loads more stuff. And I feel really bad about it. So I told him you liked about seven different factions, but I said, Admech were your main love. So he's sending over which is in the post right now um, and should be with me any day now, uh, two extra armages to add to your collection. So that brings you up to four. Um, and he's also sending you the fucking battle toaster. Yes! <laughs> which is something you had on your shopping list but not really felt justified to get for a long time. And you're just, you're just fucking getting one. I've wanted one for so fucking long, and I was going to get one just to put Sicarians in it. But because I've only got the kill team Sicarians, and they're a mix between the the ones with <laughs> the ones with the swords and the ones with the guns, because I can't remember the fucking names between them. I was like, well, the I have to buy... The infiltrators and the rust stalkers. Yes, that's it, mate. Nice one. Th- thanks, Mark. Thanks for saving me on, uh, on air. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I was like, well, I can't buy that without buying another box of the Sicarians, and like, I can't really justify that at the moment. But I've really wanted one because they look so fucking cool. And the fact he's sending one, I got so stoked. When you fucking told me, I got my phone, I went straight on Etsy and I started looking for like miniature scale toasters so that I could paint one up to put in it. Oh, man, there's (laughs) there's loads of them on there as well. I I found one. I think it was like £2.47 and it's the right scale for 40K, but it's for a doll's house. But I mean, you're never going to tell. A toaster's a toaster. You know, you put that on my gravestone. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking hell, man. (laughs) I know. (laughs) But I'm just, I'm so fucking stoked. Axel, fucking thank you. And it's coming from Sweden, isn't it, Mark? Uh, As far as I can tell, yeah. Yeah, so also Axel, tack, 
Taximicit. And sorry about my fucking butchering of your language, but I tried. I really did try, mate. Thank you so much. Like, we started this like a year ago just for a laugh. And then this guy is just, you know, he he's liked the show that much that he's sending us stuff. And not, not just like a card or, or something, you know, he's like quite a lot of stuff man and like i've honestly i I don't feel like i deserve it but i'm I'm not not gonna turn it down um so yeah thanks again axel and to like everyone that's been so kind to us especially during the first season where we were finding our feet like thank you and like like adam nickel the the guy from fluff and hammer podcast who you guys should definitely check out if you haven't already i think i've probably mentioned him at every episode but you know he, he is a fan favorite of mine um we did an episode of his podcast one Sunday. We didn't, like, have any notes or anything. We just went on and chatted, had a really fucking nice time. And we're like, thanks, man, because like, I, this is a guy I look up to in, like, the content creator universe, and he's invited me on his show. I was fucking stoked about it. And then he sends us a fucking, like, intro music where he's done voiceovers on. <laughs> oh, man. It's, it's, been a very, it's been a very good couple of weeks, Mark. I'm, I'm having a good time despite everything that's going on in the world. So is there anything you'd like to add? <laughs> I think you've uh, said it wonderfully, man. Beautifully and eloquently. Um, Brilliant, but, yeah, man. Th- a- Axel, you're a legend. Thank you so much. That's all I can Yeah, that's thanks, can Axel. Say. Just thanks again. Anyway, we've been fucking rambling for a while, and I think now is the time for us to take our traditional short break so that we can come back and focus on our nostalgic love for our favourite all-human military force. Okay, see you in a minute. Welcome back. So, everyone, listeners at home, listeners in their cars, listeners wherever the fuck you are, we're getting into the main fucking focus of this episode, which is none other than the Astra Militarum, aka, or the regiment previous, no, regiment, what the fuck am I talking about? The army previously known as the Imperial Guard. Now, Myself, I have a floating love affair with these guys, and I don't own any of them. I've never played them. I've just read about their escapades. Mark, however, is far more knowledgeable than me about the subject, and I thought it would be fucking cool to do an episode where I'm like, Mark, let's get into the IG. So, mate, do you want to go ahead and unravel your your knowledge of this fine fucking force? <laughs> man what an intro um yeah well whereas jackson's got kind of uh as you said like a, a love affair from a distance with the guard yeah long I distance relationship a, i'm a grizzled guard veteran in, in some sense um in that i've actually owned and played imperial guard now we are talking third edition though and i wanted to talk a little bit about that early 2000s release for the imperial guard for third edition and you know my experience of you know what it was like back then to to collect them and the mindset they were going uh, through when they were making that codex and some of the things i like about them you ready yeah i just want to mention to uh listeners at home so codex imperial guard for the third ed one uh, this was Jervis Johnson and none other than Gav Thorpe. So you you know you're in for a good time. <laughs> and yeah, it's got um, that it's got that awesome artwork on the front, which is David Gallagher. Which I feel it it really sums up the Imperial Guard well because it's like when you look at Space Marine codexes from especially from this era and before, like they're not they're not as uh, grim dark they're a lot more heroic in in some ways and you don't have the same kind of misery that the guard are going through like i love how on the on the the artwork for the guard it's usually loads of them and loads of the ones that are there are dead or injured <laughs> and uh, <laughs> they've got that on on that codex because it's the uh, it's the dudes in the trenches like trying to you know trying to like get along and do what they can but I think like one of the main guys is like shooting um, a las rifle, and he's like kneeling down on the on the corpse of one of his mates. 
So, oh, yeah. This, it's, a, it's a great cover. Yeah, this was definitely the Grimdark. And uh, yeah, man. It really, sum, it really sums up kind of like the mindset they were going for, for this codex as well. Yeah. Um, because what I've done for a lot of my research is look at White Dwarf 239, which is the White Dwarf that came out for the Imperial Guard third release. Um, so this release, as I said, was early 2000, sort of December time. So the, the box, the stuff came out for about Christmas, basically. And f- as a young uh, novice, it was actually kind of my first proper army that I collected for 40k. I did have a few Space Marines because that's what you did when you first started you had a few space marines but in terms of like proper armies imperial guard my first one see i never knew this yeah because um it was the first time they um had released a plastic set for them now before everyone goes oh actually they had a plastic uh stormtroopers yeah i know they had plastic stormtroopers before then but i'm talking like proper more than like eight figures in a box and they were multi-pose yeah they were the venerable uh katachan models which depressingly are the same ones we've still got the ones with the awful faces that are still on being sold online yes yeah and they're like exactly the same set and they're not even at a discount they're they're like 20 quid aren't they for a box and they look awful oh and you used to get 20 in a box fucking hell Were, were they good when they came out (laughs) <laughs> well i can tell you now that even at the time i thought some of these aren't particularly good <laughs> like you could make one or two poses that were really good and uh some of them you were like oh i've kind of i'm left with these awful components so i guess i'll make a few goofy looking ones yeah like the, the guy with shades there's a, there's a head with shades on there's an arm that's kind of holding a las gun in one arm, but it just it's so unnatural. And there's a set of legs in it where I can't. It looks like you know. Imagine you were doing a warm up for a run, and you'd then on one leg and you stretched out your other leg a long ways, and like you would. It's a basically there's a fucked up pair of legs, and no matter which way you posed it it looked awful yeah i think i I think i know the one you mean because there's a picture of some of them on the on the back of that third egg codex and yeah it's kind of like he's like leaning heavily to the left yeah it looks like they're trying to go for like the um like guitar power stance or something but he he just looks like he's like got cramp (laughs) in one leg yeah joking aside though i think this is quite an important set because yeah, I had a few Space Marines because, you know, you just naturally seem to accrue Space Marines when you get into uh, Games Workshop. Because bearing in mind, before this, I'd played 40k. And this happened to coincide with a friend of mine getting the third edition box set with the Space Marines and the Dark Elder inside. So I was like, well, I want to play 40k. And at the time, I just used his stuff. But then this third ed codex came out for Imperial Guard with the box set. And it's something... It was priced in such a way that you could get a box and pretty much have a whole army because it's 20 guys um, and you only needed to get a few metal special weapons and a, and a leader and you could pretty much play out of the box. And I think what I liked as a kid was that they were... And I think the reason why people like Imperial Guard generally is that they're very relatable. You know, they're human. You can relate to it. And the same way in fantasy, I collected the human armies because it was a good grounding in the background. Yeah. And you felt like it was cool to be the humans fighting against, you know, all the weird and wonderful things, uh, mainly weird and terrible, not necessarily wonderful. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, I remember, actually, it wasn't just um, the Catachan box I managed to pick up because I think it coincided with like a January sale because I remember going into games workshop and i think i must have said at christmas um i don't want any presents but i'd like some 40k stuff and i think i remember on mail order um through the mail order trolls at the time you could order like a a kachan starter force which had the start the um the figures in the uh the new box set plus you could get a few extra bits and it was like a good value they offered actually like a discount on it 
And I remember going into Games Workshop with my parents and them them physically having to, well, the guy at the shop phoning up Nottingham HQ, the mail order, and putting my order through. And then I remember them asking me which special weapons I wanted because you could choose. So that's something that seems to have lodged in my memory that I seem to be able to remember. But um, So that was my Imperial Guard army. And I'm pretty sure it came with a box of Kachans. I think you got Lehman Russ. You got um, I remember I had the metal Katachan leader, the guy with the power fist in the air. Yeah, yeah. And I got a few like special weapons guys. And um, was was he all metal? That guy with the yeah. power fist. Sweet, I know the one you mean because that that is on the back cover as well. It's the guy, well, with the fucking power fist. <laughs> I can't get into it more than that. But man, and he's I'll... got the fucking like buzz cut, like yeah, like, the hair. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to hear like your uh, like old story of of. Uh, buying from games workshop because a discounts and january sales and games workshop aren't things that i put together in the same sentence and b what happened to the mail order trolls because i remember that they had like artwork done for it and everything didn't they in the white dwarf yeah and you could phone up and order specific bits um and put an order through over the phone because they didn't i don't think they really had an online store the only way was to phone up and say i need this part this part and you have a catalog and you'd say the number. And I remember them having a catalogue in the shop, actually. And you could look through and pick certain bits. And <laughs> what, like, order just like a, a few parts. Like walking into Argos. Yeah, they had a laminated book of dreams. <laughs> was it Was it actually laminated in Games Workshop? I, I hope so. I can't remember. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, because there wasn't an on- online presence, was there? Because I'm doing some research for this episode. Like uh, the big Armageddon campaign happened in Third Ed. I think it was third it ed did, yeah and they had like an online thing where you could see the progress of the campaign and i looked at some stuff on Wayback machine and <laughs> oh my god like the 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 pages on the website are black with like neon green text and it's just like fuck your eyeballs like how much contrast can we put in a page oh it's so dated <laughs> um i wanted to go back to something you said about the january sales now i can't categorically say whether it was a january sale but I'm trying to... The only thing I remember is going into the shop at the time when they came out and ordering a special army deal where you got some stuff for free, basically, like a discount. And I'm, I'm assuming because this stuff was... The White Dwarf is at December, it must have been shortly after. So I'm assuming that's my memory serves. That's probably what it was. Yeah. Yeah, um, it sounds about right. And I, and I, and I know that's a, a weird point to bring up on, but I just wanted to... Just, confirm for anyone goes actually that set was released in such and such a time but um it must have been about then um and i knew it was must have been a present because there's no way i could have afforded a a, more than just a single like blister pack at the time so it must have been a present or something um so yeah that pretty much formed my early gaming experience and now bearing in mind i played a little bit of the shop uh my shop i mean actual games workshop shop when you could go in there and, and play games and playing with my friends at school. But um, I remember just really enjoying them, playing Imperial Guard. I remember I had a Chimera, and I could you could put your men in it, and like they would like run up, and you could shoot the las guns out the side of it. I remember having the Lehman Russ with the big template, and you could like basically just like wipe out units all in one go. You had the scatter dice and stuff, and it was cool, man. And then, but you'd have all that powerful gear, but as soon as the enemy got into contact with your guys, they just get fucking rinsed. <laughs> <laughs> but oh. I mean, that's that felt appropriate, you know. And I remember playing um, against a friend of mine had some Tyranids, and it just being like, man, we're just playing Starship Troopers. How cool is this? Yeah, there, oh, there's a great, there's a fucking great picture in that Codex, which is, I think it's the Cadian Ninth going up against some Hive fleet, and I don't think it's like pencil sketch or just you know ink or whatever but it's so it's so dark by nature and that image you just think they haven't got a fucking chance they've got like the tiniest bit of armor and they're going against like these huge fucking aliens that like have weapons that shoot fucking things that burrow under their flesh and oh man i would not want to be in the guard but yeah and realistically if we were in this universe and we were somehow in a military setting we more than likely we would be guardsmen and you know oh yeah it would, it would be tithed into the guard no yeah no doubt but i was um 
having a little read of the Jervis John- Johnson article that he wrote for that White Dwarf that came along with the release. And um, it's really quite interesting, actually. And because I think a lot of um, the vibe they tried to capture in the third edition codex came ac- is still sort of prevalent now. Because he was saying in the article that he wanted them to feel more like a proper military unit. Because in the previous codexes, you could cherry pick a bit better from all the different stuff so you could have like a infantry squad but you could pick you wouldn't have to put them in a structure like a platoon or a company or anything you could just do one squad of dudes and pick a few tanks and it was a bit more of a cherry pick kind of situation but he wanted to base it on like a proper military organization and he said another one of the things they wanted to capture was the human element to the guard and the kind of and the realness so they kind of shifted more towards um, a real military kind of formation and they made you pick a company a company was your basic unit for your imperial guard so you had to have a company hq which had all the, the heavy weapons in so you couldn't just spam and pick heavy weapons to your heart's content you had to your company leader had to have a certain number of special weapons they could take and then you would have your platoons which had a platoon leader which is like a, a lieutenant and four other guys and then you had to take at least two squads of guardsmen for one troop choice apparently there's a bit in there where andy chambers the other writers at the time the guy that looks like lemmy with the or james hetfield with all the hair um he was saying that he wanted to be a minimum of three squads per single troop choice (laughs) but they were thinking oh i don't think people are going to be too happy having to buy that many you know yeah and in back in third ed i think you had to have um a hq and at least two troop choices so if you wanted to play imperial guard you had to have as a basis an army leader and two platoons of men which is you know two squads of uh, guards so it's four squads of guardsmen minimum and then if Andy Chambers got his way, you'd have to have 60 guardsmen plus all the command <laughs> as a basis. But they, ironically, even though they were making you take, or, or you know, in the force organisation, encouraging you to take more infantry, they kind of wanted to strike a balance in this codex, apparently, between obviously the huge battles they take part in, where there's billions of guardsmen, and they also wanted to focus a bit on those kind of, those uh, isolated worlds where it might be de- like a settlement might be defended by just a company of guardsmen and focusing and like really focusing in on that small unit and kind of getting across that they yes they are this huge organization that has billions of members but they also fight really small actions as well really desperate small actions so they were trying to strike a balance between those two things and i think that's kind of the the fluff i had in my head for the Imperial Guard, when when I would play my games as a kid, we'd be like, oh, I've only got this small little detachment of guards and they're defending against who, whatever my mates were playing. And I think the Codex allowed you to kind of have that sort of thing as opposed to thinking, oh, I'm I'm, play- I'm, I'm a small part in a huge colossal battle. Yeah. Also made you feel as if you could play, your unit was a small unit as well, doing a small action like yeah. a raid or defending a small encampment and that brings back that kind of idea of the human element of it doesn't it because looking at it from the smaller scale you can get a bit more attached to your individual dudes which i guess was yeah. really important when they start doing like the multi-part kits because you're going to have specific guys you know built in in certain ways and you you might even end up naming them if you get time so it makes yeah, sense exactly and and as a kid as i said that box set was pretty much all i had Admittedly, it was a small army, but I, you know, I had the same, you know, thirty guardsmen for the whole time I was playing them. And interesting, they were saying um, with the third ed- edition codexes because they were quite small. They had to think quite hard about how they were going to present the fluff, because um, the as you've probably seen, the second ed codexes are quite big, aren't they? They're quite big books. Quite yeah, lengthy. The, yeah. Whereas the third ed ones feel very. Uh, well, I know they're a, they're technically a gaming supplement, aren't they? But they don't feel like like now it, when you get a codex that oh, that's an investment, isn't it? And it's got shitloads of stuff in it. It's like a yes, book they've, in they've its own got, right. They've gone full circle with it. I think. They've yeah. Kind of started out really big, made them more as a supplement, and now have come back to being like if you get into a faction, yeah, you get the codex because it's got the rules, but it's also got all of your fluff. 
you need to kind of well you don't need to but you can get into um so they made a decision apparently to move away from kind of that what they call word of god where it's literally just listing history uh, um without any uh, opinion it's just saying the guards died here and you know telling all these stories and they tried to put more stuff in like personal accounts and small stories that i didn't know this stuff about the writing of the book um when it first came out because i don't think i had the white dwarf but all the things they said they tried to capture or the vibe they tried to get across in this codex as a as a young kid playing this faction i definitely got that vibe i think it was definitely mission accomplished in terms of what they were trying to achieve it definitely came across to me that human element um that boots on the ground kind of vibe about the guard and that kind of more grim darkness and and i think they really hit the nail on the head by you know a really good codex that really captured the vibe and you know an excess not i'm gonna say good but i'm gonna say an accessible plastic kit you know where you know i didn't have to buy loads of blister packs of metal guardsmen which i admit are still some of my favorite models i think those old metal guard models are fantastic but um the plastic catchan box was you know an easy in for me i could get a box and then i could play with them for a long long time i got a lot of use out of that starter army and i think a lot of the the vibe of that codex is kind of still prevalent today and the vibe they're going for so i think it's it's quite a pivotal piece of work to be honest what happened to your army um if i'm being honest i've got absolutely no idea i don't have it anymore i don't know if i traded it i don't know if i sold it um i mean when you did your research because like i agree with you this does seem like a pivotal piece of work was there like was this the first time the uh commissar summary execution rule came in that's a really good point and it's actually in my notes um because I, I remember looking through this codex and I I remember reading that for the first time and thinking, brilliant. They've actually, like, that's the rule. I love it. Like, there it is. Yeah, Jervis Johnson said that um, in the past, in the previous codexes, the commissars had come across not quite how they wanted. So he, they made a deliberate move to make them more zealous and a bit more brutal. So they did bring that summary execution rule back in for this codex, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, as I've said it all, really, like, it's really a, a pivotal book, in my opinion, in terms of the development of the history of the Imperial Guard. And I really enjoyed having them. And it's a shame I don't have the army anymore because it's something that I think recently we were talking about, you know, getting a few start collecting boxes and playing guard. But, um, yeah. It is something that is my first sort of into 40k really like it's quite quite important for me as well to sort of end my section i've got uh two questions about the imperial guard one favorite imperial guard regiment yep second favorite vehicle because they, oh, you know, the guard the, the guard are all about them tanks so i want to know favorite regiment and i want to know favorite vehicle now, this is a toss-up, but I've I've settled on my favourite regiment being the Tanith first and only. I was yeah. I was contemplating saying the Savlar Chem Dogs because I really <laughs> fucking like their lore as well. But I mean, right, okay, they haven't really appeared in many books, so kind of hard to get into, and I don't know enough about them. Um, but right. yeah, man, my it, would your favourite regiment be the Tanith as well? No, or you... I'm all about that Armageddon Steel Legion, man. Have you got yourself like a pot of Steel Legion drab just for the sake of having something with it written on? <laughs> I don't even own the paint. Oh, man. <laughs> well, I'm going to get into it, mate, because I fucking love the Tanif. Like, Well, you, you haven't answered my second question. So my favourite vehicle for the Imperial Guard, after perusing many of them, would be the Baneblade. I know you're not happy about this. <laughs> More specifically... The Arcurian pattern Stormblade. <laughs> because tell me about the Stormblade, man. Well, see, this is kind of harsh because it's a Forge World model, but I like I, I still like the Baneblade in general. Um, but the the Stormblade, the Arcurian, I think it's Arcurian that pattern Stormblade. So think Baneblade, but resin, so therefore expensive and 
replaces the main weapon with a fuck off double barreled plasma gun. It's like it looks <laughs> it looks it looks fully fucking sci-fi and it's so fucking overkill. And I just love it. Tell me, Mark, what what tank are you going to going for? Can I give out an honourable mention to the uh, Imperial Guard Lehman Russ Demolisher? <laughs> yes, yes, the you can. The, uh, <laughs> one with the stubby, really fat gun. Yeah, it's like the Vindicator. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's my honourable mention. But my favourite Imperial Guard tank, because it was quite hard, because a lot of them are very cool, is the Lehman Russ Vanquisher. I can't think of that off the top of my head. What's it? What guns it got? Imagine the normal Lehman Russ, but the gun is twice as long. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I know it's what you got mean. The, it's got the fucking hench, like long range version, because the gun barrel on the Lehman Russ is quite stubby, really, in comparison to like how long barrels of guns should be. Yeah, and I think the Vanquish is a bit more accurate in terms of how long the barrel should be, but it still just looks hilarious because how long it is. And I like I like to think that, you know, the, the Vanquishers have, like, elite crews and they're kind of, like, tank hunting. They kind of sit back and just, like, snipe from a distance. And I think that's really cool. So, yeah, that's my favourite vehicle. But the Demolisher was up there just because of, like, brutality. You can imagine them just driving it up to a vehicle full of, like, cultists and just fucking annihilating the building with it. <laughs> I think it's some of the Bane Blade variants have that cannon on them as well as the main one. But like you said before, because we, we had to uh, stop recording for a second, but when I first revealed the Bane Blade choice, Mark was a bit like, oh, <laughs> it's a bit too much. So you is it too big or has it just got too much stuff on it for you? I think it is very 40k because they've kind of gone, right, we'll just make a, a tank as big as possible and just stick as many guns as it on it as possible um but i just see it and i'm a bit overwhelmed it's a bit too much to take in it's just like yeah. so big <laughs> i wouldn't um, want to build one no no it perfectly it fits the, the background and like, it, is, it makes sense in a 40k way but i don't think it, i would collect imperial guard and think one day my crowning jewel in my army will be a bane blade i, I don't have i'm not that sort of vibe no fair enough yeah no i, I just liked it because the 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 fancy Stormblade, just the gun on it just looks so fucking 40k and it's just i just enjoy thinking about not so much that versus some other you know like going up against a gargan or something but just that shooting infantry <laughs> that's what <laughs> i like the idea the of that yeah right i'm getting into my regiment then because yeah, otherwise i would digress into talking about plasma guns all day long so yeah so, the guard it's, it's, Mate, you've got the floor, man. You've got the floor. Go for it. Oh, here we go. So, and this is fucking biased, but Tanif first and only. So the fact that each and every member is developed so well in the lore and is a real character, coupled with the, I'm going to say the sad reality that they're all going to die in battle at some point and that they're the last of their world, it just makes their plight a bit more special because, yeah. like we've said a few times with the guards, you know, they ain't having a good time when they're fighting. Like, the casualty rates are ridiculous, and the whole tactic of using them is that whole Zap Brannigan thing of, you know, just wave after wave of men until the enemy's just either run out of bullets or is just overwhelmed. Um, so when you've got a limited sort of resource of those guys, it makes their story that more interesting, and it makes the way they fight more special to me because they have a different kind of conviction they're you know they're not just willingly taking orders regardless of what's going to happen they're thinking about themselves but they still have the duty to the imperium they still really want to win but they're yeah. more cautious about how they do things um and i think it's a few thousand they start with i think that get rescued because to anyone who doesn't know their their home world gets destroyed by chaos so you you're already down to a few troops in comparison to their full strength which i think was 6000 or or so i think but because you've got so many guys who when they die that's the last of their home world's regiment you know it, it just makes them a bit more special and they do as the books go on they do recruit more people but they're not tanith born so there's a little bit of you know it's a bit different uh, sure. as far as far as like light infantry goes i think they're from what i've read they're the best at what they do like tactically and combat wise 
they fight with the kind of tenacity that would, I think it make the Emperor proud. You know, they're mm. just, they're the best humans for stealth and like tracking ability because they've got the skills from their home world, which is unique to them. So they're growing up hunting in a place where the trees fucking just get up and walk around. So gives them a good sense of direction to, to be able to still track and hunt with like the scenery just changing every now and then is pretty nuts. So that's the, uh, for any historians there waiting for me to say the name, it's the gnarwood tree because I, I have got that in my brain. Um, they're mentioned quite a bit in the second book and I don't know, there's just something about them. They just seem to be like, they're the fucking underdogs, but they're like the best and They've got like special, what is it, Camellio? I can't say it, man. They've got camo cloaks. So yeah. as far as I can see how they're drawn, it looks like a ghillie suit, but it works like what the Predator has. It like refracts light and shit. So they're like, they can just be invisible when they want. Um, and I love how much they're into their weapons. Like they have a real ownership of stuff. Like I said about the the Narwood, they customize their weapons, all their, like they use mark three las rifles but they're all customized with gnarwood stocks so they've got that oh, bit cool. of their they've got that bit of their homeland with them and they're going to be you know a bit more attached to them it makes them more precious like almost like they're kind of like a relic because if they lose it they're not going to get another one um and i, yeah, I just love that... how gone now i was gonna say that's a, a nice sort of juxtaposition to the as you said the the mass production of just other guard gear yeah, definitely, because it's it's very much like we we've got billions of these guys. So how quickly can we produce stuff that works? And I get the idea that unless you paint it or you know add some stuff to it, ev- everything is exactly the same. And I like how these guys have got more of an ownership and more of a relationship with their weapons. That I don't know why that speaks to me, but it does. And I also like that they're, they're kind of flexible in terms of the organization. Like you were saying earlier about the. I know this is talking about third ed guard stuff, but where it was more prescribed of, of how they should be organized, like mm-hmm. because the Tanith keep getting new men from worlds that they liberate and women, sorry, like they just adapt accordingly. And I could see like Gilliman would be well pissy if the space Marines did that, but yeah. it work it works for them and they allow like some, well, I say they, the command allows for some sort of art, like artistic license with how the squads do objectives. So rather than sticking to just orders from command, they're allowed, like the squad leaders are allowed to sort of approach things with how they see fit. And I think yes. that's really important when when you read stuff about the guard, they've got like their books on, you know, you've got like your field manual on how everything should be done. And yeah that makes them kind of predictable whereas the ghosts are a bit more unpredictable and i think that shows that gaunt has a lot of faith in them and their constant fucking success just sort of proves that a they're really good and b gaunt is right to be trusting them there's just something about them and i'm i'm really gutted that i can't get models for them because they did do i'm not sure what year it was i think it might have been the 2000s they did uh, metal versions of the ghosts they did, yeah. Because I, I, I was, I was reading through it's chapter approved two thousand and three, and they've got a whole bit on the ghosts there when they were released, and like them well painted, and some of them like the um, the medical officer is just how I imagined him, and it was really weird seeing this mini because I didn't even know they existed. Um, but the the metal minis are, are they're pretty cool, man. I don't know why they stopped doing them. I guess it's just because they're metal minis. But you got. Yeah you got Gorn and a bunch of like the main characters and then they just gave you four or five random guys that were just called like ghost one ghost two. I don't think they had names or anything, Mm. but it's pretty sweet to see them like in actual miniature format. I haven't really got a lot to add other than they're just fucking cool. But what about you, man? You're, you're well into your steel Legion. Yeah. I really like the steel Legion. Um, they've got a similar vibe, I think aesthetically to the death core, haven't they? with the gas masks and stuff. Whereas I think yeah. uh, the Death Corps lean heavily on that grim darkness um, with their background and how they look. But I think the Steel Legion for me had kind of that World War II great coat gas mask look, which I thought was quite cool. 
they've also got kind of that nostalgic vibe because they were third edition and they came out during third edition when I was into them, into playing Imperial Guard. And I love the the background that they were heavily mechanised. Like the idea was when you built a Steel Legion army you were you should the, the idea behind it was to try and put as many of them in chimeras as possible yeah because it's the, the idea of having a, exactly yeah. and and i love the idea of them riding all like you're having a fully mechanized army something as a as a kid when they came out would sort of unachievable because that's quite expensive but i always really liked when i had imperial guard that i had i had a chimera and i put one squad inside it and i always thought always put the coolest figures in that squad so the idea that you can have a whole <laughs> army like that um was really cool and i loved the the gas mask aesthetic and uh i thought they're really cool um i mean I, I don't profess to know as much about the background um of my favorite regiment as you do because you obviously love the tanith and you wax lyrical about that which is which is awesome and i learned lots of stuff from that but i just mine are purely well, mine were purely chosen just for the aesthetic and the vibe. I love the look, and I love the fact they're all like armored up in their chimeras, racing around Armageddon, shooting orcs and stuff. I think it's really cool. Like, I mean, I'm I'm pretty much done, man. Do you want to wrap up the episode, or have you got any other stuff you wanted to get into? Nah, man. I think we've uh, imperial guarded pretty hard, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have, man. If you guys want to check us out, I've actually started doing fucking Twitter. It's only taken me more than a year so i'm at jackson extremist on twitter now um mark is single-handedly manning the helm of the instagram which you guys may have noticed there's a lot more posts on there now mark's churning them out like a fucking absolute machine so we're sanctioned extremist podcast on the instagram and all of that action has let us get a bit lax with the facebook although you're still monitoring that aren't you man um, um and we're sanctioned extremist podcast on facebook as well <laughs> monitoring is quite a grandiose term for looking at likes when we get them <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you've seen fucking uh, messages come through on there as well haven't you so that's cause... only because it pings up on my phone and i mean me getting into twitter or twitter and i wanted to give a couple of shout outs on there so it's uh, lee at demon hammer and bloody jackal who've both, I said that really weirdly, bloody jackal. I don't know why I did that, but you can have your name said twice. They both sent me fucking banging stickers because I got one of those fancy um, red grass wet palettes. Oh, and like, right. I only had like one sticker on there. And then like people are sending me these fancy fucking holographic stickers and shit, mate. I'm all about them stickers. Um, Sweet. Yeah. And also wanted to shout out to uh, Panny Mauser or Panny Mauser. I'm not sure how to say that, sorry. Because I meant to give them a shout out like fucking months ago and I forgot on one episode. And then we went on a huge hiatus, which I didn't see coming. And Dana Howell and Charlotte on Twitter as well, because there's been some good advices. Um, but yeah, do you want to give any shout outs, man, before we wrap this motherfucker up? Um, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not because I'm horrible, it's just because I never prepared any. And no, if, no, I, fine, if I, I mention you... one person, then I'll forget someone else. So um, I will make a conscious effort to to give some shout outs for next time. So I apologize. We did the we did the significant one though to uh, Axel, didn't we? So yeah. Also, if anyone else wants to send us free shit, go for it. <laughs> yeah, we wouldn't say no. Oh, awesome, man. Well, it's been fucking good talking to you, and thanks everyone um, for listening to us again after such a long break. Really hope you guys will stay safe out there. And I'm going to leave you with a line from a book that young Mark here is about to partake in. Now, this book is The First Heretic. And this is a novel which focuses on Lorgar, who is basically the universe's biggest fucking coward. And it is ridiculous how much people hate Lorgar, not just in canon, because believe me, they fucking hate him in the canon, but also in the community. I did a poll on Twitter that was, who is your most hated Primarch? And Lorgar won it by a fucking landslide. Oh, God. So Comrade Kurz doesn't like Lorgar, and he says to him, you are the most accursed coward I have ever seen, Lorgar. And you're thinking, man, that's a bit harsh, Comrade Kurz. And then later on, like, there's some big battle going on, and Comrade Kurz, he helps Lorgar up after this fight. And Lorgar says, thanks. 
so Comrade Kerr spits at him. <laughs> and I just thought that summed up how people treat Lorgarve really well. Okay. Uh, <laughs> 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 bye bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs>